I'm in this next to last message in the Gideon series on uh, how to defeat your enemy. Next week, I'll finish it up. Uh, this week, I want to talk about uh, uh, the subject, praise your way to victory. Did you know you can praise your way to victory? Well, that sounded as lame as lame can get. Is there anybody in here that realizes you can praise your way to victory? Amen. Amen. Come on in. Welcome, welcome. Amen. Good morning. Praise the Lord. Everybody turn to your Bibles. I want you to turn to Judges chapter 7. And we're also going to look at Acts 16. So we're not going to get to Acts 16 till the end of the message. So what I want you to do is um, find Acts 16 in your Bibles, however it is, if it's on your device. And by the way... Uh, you can, you've got version. If you go to version, you can download the notes. You can make notes. You can save them. And uh, you can refer back to them. Dadrian, hey, man, it's good to have you back, buddy. Love you. Welcome. Praise God. All right. So we are, uh, we are in uh, Judges chapter 7 and Acts 16. When you have Judges chapter 7, if you would stand to your, to your feet for the reading of God's word. And I want you just to go to Acts 16, just hold it right there. Just hold a, a marker or a spot. We're not going to read it right now, but I'm going to get there at the, uh, at the end of the message. So, Judges chapter 7, verse 16 through 22. This is a very powerful portion of their... I've been leading up this whole time to the victory. And next week, we're going to talk about pursuing your victory and, and what Gideon did. But this week, we're going to praise our way to victory. So... Reading from Judges chapter 7, verse 16 through 22 in the New King James Version. It says, Then he divided the 300 men into three companies, and he put a trumpet in every man's hand, with empty pitchers and torches inside the pitchers. And he said to them, Look at me and do likewise. Watch, and when I come to the edge of the camp, you shall do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then you also blow the trumpets on every side of the whole camp. And say the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. So Gideon and the 300 men were with him. Came to the outpost of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch. Just as they had posted the watch. They blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers that were in their hands. Verse 20. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers. They held their torches in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands for blowing. And they cried the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And every man stood in his place all around the camp. And the whole army ran and cried out and fled. Verse 22, when the 300 blew the trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his companion throughout the whole camp. And the army fled to Beth Acacia, towards Zerah, and far as the border of Abel, Mahola, by Tabith. And these words are very difficult. Amen. Thank you so much, Lord, for your word. God, I thank you for your presence. We ask, God, you to move in our country yet again, Father, from the White House to the Congress to the judges throughout all the entire land to bring a great awakening yet again, a revival, God, of your spirit and your presence. Lord, I pray we turn to you as a nation, rather right here in our community and as a church, God, to be on fire for you. Lord, I pray, Father, we use the weapons that you've given us for victory, God, and we utilize them, God, as you teach us right here in these scriptures. And we ask, God, you to be with us, Father. Anoint me to preach your word, not in word and tongue only, but also in power and in deed. You are our living hope. Let us remember you're the God of all hope. And we pray the power of the Holy Spirit be here, God, to bring miracles, 
to do signs and wonders, Father, to heal the sick, to cure diseases, Father, to restore relationships and families and to save lost souls, to bring prodigal sons and daughters home in Jesus' name. Lord, bless our time together now. Let your fresh anointing be upon me to speak forth your word, not in word and tongue only, but also in power and in deed. Let the seed be fall, fall in, the, in the good soul of our hearts and grow and bear forth fruit in our lives. In Christ's name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Hold your Bibles up and let's boldly declare, Father, today, this week, by your grace, I'm going to be a doer of your word and not a hearer only, deceiving my own self. Now, Lord, anoint my ears, anoint my heart, anoint my spirit, my soul, my mind, and my body to receive the truth of your word. Christ's name I pray. Amen. High five two or three people as you're being seated. Webster defines victory as the winning of a contest, final success at a battle, a conquest, the defeat of an enemy in the battle. We know what we know what victory means, but but how do you cope when victory seems impossible? How do you stay secure in faith while you're staring at a seemingly immovable object? What do you do when the enemy appears to be the one walking in victory and not you? You have to remember that Christ ultimately, we got the victory over 2,000 years ago when Christ died on the cross. He gave us that victory. It's already been won. So facts may say you're sick, you're broke, you're downhearted, but the truth says you're healed, you have more than enough in what you need, and you have joy and you have peace. Somebody say a good amen for that. Amen. Now, there were keys that Gideon used to victory, and we're going to find three of them here in this, in this story. There were three things that he utilized to walk in victory over the enemy and, and have uh, to win the battle. The first two that I want to talk about are the clay pitcher and the light. Everybody say the clay pitcher and the lit torch. So that leads to first, my first point. I only have two today, and they're keys to victory. So the first point is the first key to victory is brokenness. Everybody say brokenness. Their instruction was to put a lit torch under a, under a clay vessel, if you will, or a clay pot. And this takes place in the middle watch of the night. In, in Gideon's day, there were three watches. There was The first watch was from 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. The second watch was from 10 p.m., to 2 a.m., and then the third watch was from 2 a.m. to 6 p.m. So this story takes place at the beginning of the middle watch or at 2 o'clock in the morning. This very small and weary battalion of warriors who are tremendously outnumbered, tremendously overwhelmed in every way, was to break their vessel. And as the, as the clay vessel would break to the ground, then the lit torch the light would come out and would shine for all to see. It would light up the camp with light. The clay pot in this story represents the lives of people who have the light inside of them, the light of the gospel down deep inside of us. But it was not exposed until the heat of the battle broke their vessels. There's so many times that what's inside of us concerning the gospel, the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, will not truly be exposed in full measure until our lives are broken in the hands of God. It was a broken vessel that truly exposed what was on the inside of that vessel. 
So many times we put up fronts. So many times we walk around and we try to carry ourselves in such a way as to remain intact, as to remain together. And I want to tell you, until we get into a place of brokenness before God, the light of the gospel will never truly shine through. It is the broken people of God that seem to be the ones that get the most done for God, that, that, that see the most results for God. Brokenness is not a sign of weakness. Brokenness is the good news. Someone say amen. Broken vessels symbolize breaking sin from our life and destroying sin from our life through repentance. It's a broken, penitent, repentant heart. When we are truly repentant before God, He will draw near to us. The light of His gospel will shine through us. His light comes near us. It, it represents Him and it, it represents us saying, God, I can't do this without you. God, I'm hopelessly lost without you. God, I'm broken. Everything I pray, nothing seems to be happening. Lord, I, nothing's going right in my life. It doesn't matter where I turn, I don't have peace. I don't feel I have joy. I'm broken before you. Have you ever truly been broken before? Psalm 34, 18 says it this way in the Amplified Version. The Lord is near to the broken, to the heartbroken, and He saves those who are crushed in spirit. Have you ever been there? That means contrite in heart, but truly sorry for their sin. David wrote in Psalm 51, 17, My only sacrifice acceptable God is a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, broken with sorrow for sin, thoroughly penitent. Such, O oh God, you will not despise. When was the last time you got down on your hands and knees, or your knees before God, maybe your hands, maybe your face to the floor, and just said, God, I'm a broken person. Have you ever been to the place like he describes in Luke, where the guy's beating his chest and doesn't even know how to say anything? He just says, oh God. You ever really been to the place where your sin was so evident before you and you realize you've been duped by the devil? You ever been to the place where you said, man, why did I do this? I need to, I need to walk in love greater. You, you, feel, you feel the conviction of not walking in the love that you should or, or living the way that you should right before God and your heart is truly broken before him. When your life is broken before an almighty God and in the hands of God, you will see God do miraculous things in your life. It will be the heat of your battle that will truly expose what's inside of you. Wow. A broken heart is truly sorry for its sin. It's, it's thoroughly through and through repentant. The broken clay is a picture of humility. Everybody say Humility. Proverbs 15, says, Fear of the Lord teaches wisdom. Humility precedes honor. James 4, 6, But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Resist, is a, it's really a, it's a football term, really. It literally means in the Greek, stiff arm. So when a tackler comes to tackle the ball carrier, he stiff arms him to get away. Do you know what? That's what pride does in our life. When we walk in pride, it causes God to stiff arm us. So the very God we're trying to go close to, our pride is keeping us away from Him. And God is saying, when will you be broken before me? When will you thoroughly repent? See, humility is total dependence upon God. Humility is preferring other people before, putting others first, selflessness. 
Humility is, is refusing to be offended by others. Yesterday I saw some people that I know they've talked about me around town. I know they've downed me to our, to our church. They've called me a fraud. They've said I'm not real. They've said some ugly things about me. And when I saw them face to face yesterday, they smiled at me and said, Good to see you, brother. You know what? I had a choice to do there. You know what I chose to do? I just chose to smile back and say, you know, it's good to see you too. I, I really hope you're doing well. God bless you. And moved on. When I'd like to say, can I tell you what you said about me? And can I tell you who you said it about? So quit smiling at me with your teeth and acting like a fake because you're the fraud. That's what I wanted to say. Is it all right to be human today? Can we get real? Don't act like you ain't never been there. Come on now. There's been some people you've been around before and you thought, you see them out of the corner, you're thinking, oh, please don't come near me. Please don't come near me. Please don't come near me. Oh, she said, hey, good to see you, brother. Put that little fake, fake face on and say, hey, hey, hey. Hey, I want to tell you, humility is refusing to be offended. Humility is saying, hey, I know what you said and all that, but you know what? God bless you. I love you. I just love you and I bless you. Isn't that the way to be? Amen. Is it okay to be real today? <laughs> Humility is the realization that we are nothing without God. You know what we are? We're dirt. Go dig up a coffin that's 100 years old. You know what you're going to find? Dirt. Ashes we were and ashes we will return to. We are nothing without God. Man, brokenness says, God, I know I'm nothing without you. I can't do anything without you. I don't even dare try. Humility is turning away from self-righteousness to say, my own righteousness is like filthy rags in the sight of God. But praise God, He has imputed His righteousness to me through faith in Jesus. Hallelujah. James 4.10 says it this way, Humble yourselves with an attitude of repentance and insignificance in the presence of the Lord, and He will exalt you. He will lift you up. He will give you purpose. I'm all, wow, praise God. 1 Peter 5, 5 through 6 says it this way, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. I think that still applies. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another. That means walk in humility to one another. And be clothed. Be clothed like this sweater is clothed around me. Be clothed with humility. For again, Simon Peter writes, God resists the proud, stiff arms them, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Wow. Abraham Lincoln got caught up in a situation when he was president where he wanted to appease a politician. That is never a good place to be. <laughs> and he gave an order to transfer some certain regiments to which when the Secretary of War, Edwin Stanton, heard it, he refused to carry out the order and publicly called Abraham Lincoln a fool. Now that's, you know, whoa. What would President Lincoln say when he heard, and he did hear? He said, well, if... Edwin Stanton thinks I'm a fool, then I must be, because he's nearly always right. I'll check for myself. And the two met, and in a short time of discussion, he was thoroughly convinced what a serious mistake this would be, and immediately withdrew the orders. 
Do you know how much humility it takes to be called out when you're the president of the United States as a fool and to say, well, if he called me one, then I must be one. D.L. Moody said, you must be humble or you will stumble, right? I mean, can you see them standing there with a lit torch in one hand and a trumpet in the other? Just standing before the enemy. Waiting, man, they're on the verge of their victory. The sound of breaking clay would start the battle, but it would be the lit torch and it would be the trumpet that would finish it. And I'll explain what that means in a minute. When we are truly heartbroken and repentant for our sins, God himself will then step on the scene and he will, I have no idea what that is. <laughs> I have no idea. Must be the theater. Well, we're jazzing this up today. Yeah. Hey, everybody just bebop, right? Uh oh, Annette, I'm dancing. Here we go. <laughs> Praise God. I have no idea. We'll just keep moving. Just enjoy the jazz elevator music. Praise God. The torch would, the torch would smolder. The lit torch would smolder under the clay until the clay was broken. But as soon as the clay was broken, I don't guess they're ever going to turn this off. <laughs> People are running everywhere. <laughs> like we're in the roaring 20s again. Hey, somebody get somebody. Amen. I totally lost. What else will happen when we get a building? I can assure you. Amen. Better not, amen. <laughs> Sometimes a situation starts with a sound of breaking clay, which is repentance, and it's a life that breaks under pressure, right? So, so all hell breaks loose in your life, right? You, you get a bad doctor's report. The grandkids, the kids, the parents, the whoever, the family member is just totally on skids row, and you, you're, at, you're at a loss. You don't know what to do. The more you pray, the worse it seems. Financial... Uh, bankruptcy is looming around the corner. The boss has laid you off. We know these places. These things get us to a place of brokenness before the hands of God. But it is the light and the trumpet that prevails in the end, the light of the gospel that comes forth. Amen. Sometimes we need the breaking to set the light free to take us from a defensive position to an offensive position. Amen. Everyone faces broken clay moments. We all do. They, they refine us. They mature us. They grow us. They change us into the image of God. They make us seek God a little bit more to be more Christ-like. Like the devastating loss of a loved one. Or the gut-wrenching report from a doctor. Or the sobering feel of a feeling of failure. Or the, or the horrific phone call you just received. The heartbreaking one. The betrayal of a friend. We've all experienced. It may be a moment of spiritual graduation. Listen. Your broken clay moments may be the very thing that brings victory to your life. Brokenness is not the bad news. Brokenness is the good news because it leads us to God and it says, God, I'm helpless without you. I'm convinced that every now and then we all need broken clay moments where we realize we are just human <laughs> and we are not God. Someone say amen. amen. How many of you have ever realized that before? How many of you have ever gone and thought, man, I thank you, Lord, for reminding me I'm not God. <laughs> 
the light can represent the knowledge or the enlightenment of the gospel. Listen, when we walk around in a, in a brokenness, when we are broken before God, the light of the gospel can truly shine forth. Wow. Brokenness has a, a unique way of exposing what was hidden. Sins and attitudes of the heart. I don't think I'll embarrass Jim Dingus at all, but the same Jim Dingus that tells everybody about Jesus, everywhere he goes, has a very difficult time at home. Very difficult. If, if many of you knew his story, you'd say, man, how is he still smiling even? He walks in a brokenness that causes the light to shine to everyone. Well, don't, don't look at your brokenness or don't be in a broken place and think, man, well, God can't use me now. I think he can use you all the greater. Brokenness has a unique way of exposing what's there. Right? So we may not realize we have selfish ambition or pride until we fail miserably on the job. And then you realize that your success is only tied to God. And you learn that even in the little things, you better seek him for the small things. We were talking in our small group Friday night about how we seek God. It's easy for the big things because we get overwhelmed. But the little things, is, oh, I can deal with that. I can do that. I can do that. And we don't necessarily shove God out, but we don't go to him. We think we can fix it. I want to tell you, we can't fix anything without God. Only the truth sets you free, and you cannot change anything if you're unaware of his existence. The light of brokenness gives new direction. It allows you to see what you didn't see before. And if you're always comfortable, listen, if you're always comfortable and everything's always going well, then you'll never have any reason to want to change. And change, most of the time, in the kingdom of God, will bring something new and something greater than you weren't anticipating. God wants to lead us to, to new places. He wants us out of Egypt. He wants us out of the wilderness, going across our Jordan, into our promised land. He wants to bless us, but to get us there, we have to be willing to change. And that leads me to the second point, and that is this. The second key to victory is praise. So there's brokenness and there's praise. Everybody say praise. The last item they had was a trumpet. Now, the trumpet was used for many things in the Scriptures, but the two primary things that you find it associated with Scripture is one of two things. One, assembling God's people. Two, offering praise. Well, in this case, the army had already been assembled, and they not only had one trumpet, they had 300 trumpets. So every man had a trumpet. They were already gathered together, which means that this was a symbol in this story, a symbol of praise and not assembling people. Why is that important? Watch this. Perhaps one of the most difficult things for us to do in our human walk with God is to offer praise when nothing's going right. It's to praise and worship God even when things are not the way that, that we want them to be and that God's not seemingly to answering our prayers just yet. See, for many people, praise is only a response to a blessing. But here in this case, it can mean a response to a blessing. But here in this place, it is a response of praise, of worship to God in faith for what He's going to do. It's called in the Hebrew, teruah. Everybody say teruah. Teruah literally means a shout or a battle cry. In the English word, it is translated shout. 
So here's two scriptures where you find it. Psalm 47.5, other than Gideon. Psalm 47.5, you'll put that up, please. God has ascended amid shouts. That's teruah of joy. The Lord amid the sounding of trumpets. At Psalm 89.15, blessed are the people who know the joyful sound. That's teruah. They walk, O Lord, in the light of your countenance. It is a pre-victory shout. Man, we're about to have some fun with this. It is the, it's, a, it's the type of praise, it's the type of shout of victory that happens prior to the battle or during the battle as a statement of faith that says, I've got the victory. Oh, you're going to hear this. It's the kind of praise where you walk in on a Sunday morning and you don't just stick your hands in your pockets and say, well, let's get through the songs and, and then we'll sing. No, it's the kind of praise that says, man... I'm going to praise God even though it seems like nothing's going right. Even though it seems like God had answered my prayers in a hundred years. I'm going to praise God anyways. I'm going to thank Him in advance. I'm going to offer Him faith praise. I don't have to be cheerleaded. I don't have to be moved on. I'm going to praise God no matter what because I've got the victory. I want you to know something. When they broke the clay and they blew the trumpet, they had not yet seen a victory. As a matter of fact, it could be stated that they were exposing themselves to the enemy. They're blowing a trumpet in total faith that 120,000 isn't going to kill 300 when they honor God with worship. Wow. They found a way to worship with their lives on the line. I got a question for you. Can you find a way to praise God in a setting where your life is not on the line? How did you worship this morning? Just asking. Were you singing the songs and thinking, did I leave the iron on? Where am I going to eat today? I ate at McAllister's last Sunday. I wonder if this little Mexican place would be open. Or maybe DeBella's. I really like their subs. Oh, yeah, I'm supposed to be praising God. Oh, praise God. You've been so good to me. I'm just thinking, you know, that's not getting God's attention. These men shouted. They shouted in victory before they ever had it. They got up there and they said, praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise you, I've got the victory. Praise you, I'm healed. Praise you, my family's saved. Praise you, I've got breakthrough. Praise you, I've got freedom. Praise you for the victory. Hallelujah. They shook the heavens. With all their being, they gave it all they had. Woo! I wish somebody would do it right now. <laughs> Woo! Woo! Yes, Lord. Man, these, these shouts of praise, they were confessions of faith. 
They were shouts of victory. Your shout of victory will happen before your lost loved one gets saved. Before your marriage is healed. Before you're set free of that addiction. Before you're delivered from that bondage. Before your loved one comes home. Before your marriage is healed. I've come to tell somebody. We've got to learn to praise no matter what we see in the natural. They were symbols of rejoicing in the presence of the enemy. Psalm 23, 5. Then he set me before my enemy, set a table before me in the presence of my enemy. He causes me to sit down and eat in front of them. This is happening in the presence of the enemy. Look at, I want to show you now, Acts 16, 23. Turn if you will. Man, you've got to see this. Acts 16, 23. Wow. Oh, I feel the glory of God. Acts 16, if you're there, shout out amen. Acts 16, it's not going to be on the overhead. You're just going to have to look on your Bibles. Acts 16, 23, it says, When they had laid, Paul and Silas were thrown in jail. Just before thrown in jail, the Bible says in verse 23 that they laid many stripes on them. That means they beat them good. They threw them in prison, commanded the jailer to keep them securely, so they beat them down. They told the jailer, don't let them loose. Securely doesn't mean like... Keep them safe so the other prisoners don't kill them. It means like you better keep them safe they don't escape. Verse 24. Having received such a charge, he put them in the inner prison, fastened their feet in stocks. He, he, he was afraid. He put them in the inner dungeon. The inner dungeon was like the worst part of the prison. It was dark at all hours. Noon, middle of the day, didn't matter. It was dark. It was, it was where condemned prisoners were placed. It was damp. It was cold. It was dirty. The inner jail cell is where they took all of the prisoners' bodily waste and dumped it in there. So here Paul and Silas, all they're trying to do, all they did was set a girl free from demonic oppression. And they got beat down for it. They got thrown in an inner jail cell for it. It's dirty. Their feet are in stocks. That was not good. Possibly the jailer had heard about the prison breaks in Acts 5 and Acts 12. And he thought, well, that ain't going to happen on my watch. Maybe he thought it was wiser to put them in stocks, and the stocks didn't just hold them in place that hurt them. It was a wooden log or timber that had holes for their hands, feet, and neck, and they would be in a terrible position, sometimes came out from the wall, and the only relief they might get would be to lay their back down. So you've got a beat-down back that's been whipped and bloodied and bruised, laying down in ammonia. You can imagine what that felt like. I'm painting a gross picture for you, I know, but you've got to understand the situation. These men were in anything but comfortable. They, they might have leaned on their backs. They, who knows what they did, but it was miserable for them. But the Bible says in verse 25, I love this. But at midnight, everybody say midnight. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. I love it. Midnight is the start of a new day. What does that mean? Things can change as quickly as a new day comes. Hallelujah. Just because things were bad for a while doesn't mean your new day won't be today. Amen. Your midnight could be here today. Hang in there. Keep praising God because today could be your midnight. Poke your neighbor and say today. Could be. Your midnight. Someone shout amen. Today could be the day your lost loved ones get saved. Today could be the day you get the phone call that you've been healed. Today could be the day you get the phone call that your breakthrough has happened. It's a new season. Oh, there's a song we used to sing. It's a new season. 
It's a new day, a fresh anointing is flowing my way. It's a season of power and prosperity. It's a new season and it's coming to me. How many believe that? Yeah. Man, they sang praises to God. Despite their circumstances, I want you to see how powerful this is. They were in pain, they sang. They were in darkness, they sang. They were cold, they sang. They were damp, they sang. They were lying in filth, they sang. Hallelujah. I want to ask you, would you praise God in such extreme conditions? Can I just, can I just say something shocking to you? And I don't mean this offensive in any way. I doubt that many of you could because some of you couldn't praise God this morning in great conditions. Would you feel like shouting for joy? The Bible says they sang with all their heart so loud that every prisoner heard them in the whole prison. What would happen if we came in on a Sunday morning and from the time the first song starts, with everything we got, we began to sing praises to God like Paul and Silas sang. I believe we could shake the theater, amen? Who knows, maybe the manager would come in here and say, man, what is going on? They hear you in theater three. Just like you heard the jazz music, they're hearing you. Well, glory to God, we're going to sing even louder. I want to tell you something. When will we get to the point where we come in and there's a fire in our hearts and there's a shout in our voice and we say, praise you, Jesus! Woo! In everything, give thanks. They praised God that they were counted worthy to suffer for Him. They not only praised, but they sang praises, hymns, songs, and spiritual songs. Look, we need to praise God in the good times and in the bad times. James 5.13 tells us, let us sing psalms. Let me ask you something. What is your first response to, to trials and adversity? Is your first response to praise God... Amen, yes. Or do you speak negative words? Complaining and griping, which ultimately is praising the devil. Wow, the prisoners heard them. They sing so heavenly. Listen, they didn't just lick their wounds. They praised God. Man, if God's church in America today would spend their time praising God for the wonderful things He's done and what they do have instead of complaining about what they don't have and wishing what they did have, then we would see more people come to Jesus. Because watch verse 26 very closely. It says, after they sang and the prisoners heard them, it said, suddenly, everybody say suddenly. Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loose. Wow. Suddenly. Instantaneously. The thing you've been praying for years for. 
boom, it happens. The prison you've been held bondage by is opened up and loose. The doors that have been holding you back from your destiny are opened and you can walk freely. The things that have held you and chained you and shackled you and held you in bondage are loosed from you. You are completely set free. Everybody shout liberty. For where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is. Your praise will loose other people. Have you ever thought that you come in here and you praise God? First of all, it's not for you. It's for God. But second of all, have you ever thought that your praise might set someone next to you free? Their praise set the other prisoners free. Have you ever thought that maybe your praise might get someone next to you saved? Your praise might release the freedom of healing in somebody's life. We are so targeted on ourselves. Oh, I want to feel goose pimples, or I don't, or I feel... Man, we we lose sight of the fact, wait a minute. Our praise to God is not based on what we want or our feelings. It's to honor Him and in reverence to Him and honor to Him and praise to Him and and fake praise to Him and to rule our praise to Him. It'll set others around us free. You, your praise may be the key to someone else's liberty. Wow. Satan is terrified of our praise. He knows how powerful our praise is. He knows it's a weapon. He knows it's a chain breaker. So what does he do? He'll tell you, oh man, it's just not cool to clap in church and sing. Now other people are looking at you. He'll tell you, it's just not biblical to jump up and down and shout a little bit. You know, that's just getting over an emotionalism. Uh, yes, it is biblical. But he'll tell you all kinds of things. Why? Because he wants to stop your breakthrough praise. Gideon, all he had to do was just praise God. And watch the enemy destroy themselves. Paul and Silas never loosed themselves from their bondage. They just praised God and God did it. Gideon and his army never loosed themselves from their bondage. They just praised God and watched God did it. In the same way, you will never loose yourself from your bondage or what you're believing through or for your breakthrough. All you got to do is praise God with all your heart and watch God move mountains for you. On an Atlantic Ocean liner many years ago, F.B. Meyer was asked to preach to the first class passengers. He's a wonderful preacher of his time. And he, at the captain's request, he preached on answered prayer. And an agnostic atheist went there and his friend said, hey, man, he said, did you, did you get anything out of uh, the sermon? What you, would you get out of it? He said, nothing. I don't believe a word of what he said. On his way back to his cabin, he saw an elderly lady sitting in a chair, completely asleep with her hands open. And in the spirit of fun, he took two oranges and put them in her hands and walked away snickering. He came back by in a little while, and she was just enjoying that orange. And he came up, and he said, oh, you enjoying that orange, aren't you? She said, yes, I am. She said, I've been seasick for two days now. She said, I was praying. I was praying, God, would you give me an orange to settle my stomach? She said, I was praying, and, then, and she said, and I was praising him. I was thanking him for my orange, and I must have fell asleep. And she said, I woke up, and God didn't just give me one. He gave me two. Hallelujah. And the agnostic atheist was speechless. 
What's God trying to put in your hand this morning? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you an opportunity. I want you to come on. I want you to stand to your feet. How many want breakthrough? First of all, we're going to pray. A prayer of brokenness. I just want you to pray a penitent prayer. Father, forgive me of ever being self-righteous or prideful. Forgive me of ever thinking I could do anything on my own. Forgive me of ever holding a grudge or unforgiveness to anybody, God, because that's just a sure sign that I don't really see how blind, naked, and miserable I am. How wicked I am, how desperate I am for you. Forgive me for anything I've done wrong. God, showing a lack of love and whatever it is. God, I repent before you. God, I come before you in humility and I ask you to just wash my sin away. As far as the east is from the west, God, I don't want you to resist me. I don't want you to stiff arm me. I want you to pull me closer to you. I want James 4 8 to be a reality in my life that says as I draw near to you that you'll draw near to me. Please come near, God, us right now. We repent with all our heart and soul. And God, now we choose to praise you. Like Paul and Silas did in the inner jail cell. We're not laying in filth. We're not in stocks. We're not cold, damp, and dirty and condemned we're free by the grace of God we're in a nice comfortable setting and God I pray for the next moment as we sing this song that we sing it out with all we got not to receive anything but just to praise you God to announce to the devil in the kingdom of darkness that we believe our victory is ahead that we believe in faith that victory is ours in the name of Jesus, we pray. Yes. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, church, I want you to worship. I want you to praise Him. I want you to give Him a teruah praise. Everybody shout teruah. Are you ready to worship? Are you ready to praise Him?
still got just a, a few minutes here. We're, we're early today. I did that way on purpose. I just want to go back to the part where it says strongholds are coming down. Everybody like this. Strongholds are coming down. I was like, Jesus is lifted up. Now careful now. You might get some freedom here. Here we go. You ready? I want everyone that is able, even if you can't jump, just kind of just kind of move up and down a little bit. It's all right. Everybody should say strongholds are coming down. And say, Jesus is lifted up. And then, I don't know, you might want to get a little jig going. Hey, come on, is anybody out here wants to worship God? Oh, I feel the presence of God. Come on, go back into this. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody shout hallelujah. Come on, shout hallelujah. Come on, shout it out. Glory. Oh, when we get to that part of the song, just, just do the motions. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Come on, Teruah. Praise God. Come on, shout for your victory. They'll start in a minute. Come on, don't wait for them. Just shout. Jesus is lifted high. Yes. Strongholds are coming down. Come on, do the motions. Jesus is lifted high. Strongholds are coming down. Jesus is lifted high. Here we go. When I move my body, when I move my feet, when I open my mouth, then the darkness sleeps. When I move my body, when I move my feet, when I open my mouth, then the darkness sleeps. When I move my body, when I move my feet, when I open my mouth, then the darkness flees. It's going to Strongholds are coming down. Jesus is lifted high. Strongholds are coming down. Jesus is lifted high. Strongholds are coming down. In 
count to three, I just want you to give God a teruah shout and praise like you've never done before. Like you've got the answer you've been praying for right there. Today could be your midnight. Today could be our church's midnight. Hey, we, we could get a phone call today that says, hey, we want you to check out this property. And, and there it is. When I count to three, I want you to give him the best you got. It's for God, not for me. It's for Jesus. One, two, Three. Expect a divine turnaround. Expect something different this week. Amen. This week, why not just shock the devil instead of complaining about the obstacles in the mountain? Thank God for the mountain. And thank God for the victory. Amen. Praise God. How many of you did feel good to just shake off the religion and let your spiritual hair down and just. Worship God. Hallelujah. Thanks for coming out today. Dale's coming. But let me bless you. When I, when I bless you, I want you just to hold your hands out to us. Just like the woman was asleep with the oranges. She, her hands were out. She was ready to receive, right? How many of you go to a store and you give, if the bill's $9.38 and you give them a $20 bill, how many of you just go like this? Nobody does that. You don't expect the cashier to throw the money in your pocket. What do you do? I'm expecting something. A Hebrew word for praise is todah, which means accepting things I have not yet received, but but in the natural, but in the spiritual, they're mine. Let me bless you. May the, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord, make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord, lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. We thank you, Father, and we praise you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Wow, what a great day in the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Pastor, for leading us into his presence, delivering your word, his word. Thank you.
If you're a first-time guest here today, thank you for being here. Please take time to fill out the connection cards. You can drop it in the bag as you leave. The ushers will be serving us at the doors. As you get ready to leave and get ready to give, you can give online, you can give via text, or you can give cash or envelope as you leave. We thank you for your faithfulness in giving. Because of your faithfulness, you were able to continue to reach out in the, to the community and show the love of God. Amen. God bless you as you leave. Stay connected through Facebook, thebridgecency.com, and Instagram. A lot of things going on this week. Aren't you glad you're part of a church where something's happening? Amen. Praise God. God bless you. Have a great week. Bye.